welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. How's it going, Jane? It's going good. Uh, for us, it's Wednesday, which in weird pandemic school year terms means that it's almost the end of the in-person week. Oh, tomorrow's my good for yeah, cause you. Yeah, because we're remote on Fridays. Oh, so aren't you lucky? Tomorrow's yeah. Um, and we call Thursdays um, in my classroom top-notch Thursdays. That's cute. They used to be they used to be called fun Fridays, but then when there weren't in-person Fridays, we changed it. But <laughs> I think they could think of I think they could think of a better alliteration. Terrific um, Thursdays. Of, something that's not like a T sound. Something that's like a th sound. Of course, the only thing I can think of right now is Thirsty Thursdays, which is not good. Um, I just thought of thought, so not good. <laughs> thinking Thursday. Thinking we all have to Thursday. have intellectual discussion. Um, Today, I was like trying to come up with a word that I couldn't think of. And I was with the fifth graders and I was like, I was like, okay, but if you behave, I'll give you a treat. Not like a dessert treat. I'm not giving you food. It's like a mental treat. And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'll tell you a fun fact. <laughs> like they literally looked at me like we don't know what you're saying yeah (laughs) i also don't know what i'm saying a lot of the time no i i essentially i I told them this actually was relatively successful i was like if you can get through the next 20 minutes without any behaviors that i have to report to your teacher i will let you ask me any question and they were like what and i was like you can ask me anything literally anything about any topic and they all were kind of like uh, wait like and then they gave me a topic and I was like yeah you could ask me about that anything you want anything <laughs> anything but you all get one question and you have to be good and so they behaved and I was like all right you can have your questions and then the, all the questions they had before went out the window and they were like okay do you have a crush do you have a boyfriend uh do you have a celebrity crush and I was like no I was I did they didn't ask me about the celebrity crush um they wanted to but I told them I was like oh you already asked your question I did really zing it to this one kid though who asked me do you want to hear my joke and I knew it was going to be inappropriate so I said no you (laughs) technically answered his question that was a question (laughs) they were all like oh (laughs) oh I just thought of a good one what therapeutic thursday the kids won't really care about it but well i'll make them do like self-care i'll have them do like a face mask <laughs> anyway how are you doing sarah i i'm good do you want to hear a kind of wild story i heard at work today oh yes i saw you mention this in our group chat and i want to hear more details because it sounded wild go ahead Okay, so today on my lunch break, I went to CVS. And at CVS, all the Valentine's Day candy was 90% off, which was very exciting. And I was surprised there was still some left. So I bought some Valentine's Day candy. And I came back to work and I was like, oh my gosh, all of the Valentine's Day candy is 90% off. And I got Ghirardelli chocolate, which is like my favorite chocolate. And one of my coworkers was like, oh, you're, you you like Ghirardelli? And I was like, yeah. She was like, I have not connection to Ghirardelli. And I was like, okay, tell me more. And she was, she goes, my stepsister killed the patriarch of the Ghiardellis. And then the phone rang and she answered it. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It was the biggest cliffhanger of my life that she was like, and she killed him. Well, actually he tried to kill her. And then, then she was on the phone for like 10 minutes and I was sitting there like, I need you to tell me more information immediately. Like I, 
And yeah. so she hangs up the phone and she goes, oh, yeah, okay, so here's what happened. My stepsister grew up in San Francisco and that's where the Ghiardelli family lives. And the, G- the Ghiardelli patriarch, she's like, she was like, this was the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. He had dementia. And sometimes he would get his car keys and go driving in the middle of the night. Oh. But he would like forget where he was, forget what he was doing, all these things. So one day, uh, my coworker's stepsister and her niece are, you know, walking around San Francisco and, and the Ghiardelli guy is, was driving and oh, they weren't walking around. Sorry, they were in a car. They were also driving around. Oh, okay. Like early in the morning. And he was driving and yep. he drove through uh he drove through a red light and he rammed right into them. Seriously mm-hmm. injured the two of them. They were lucky to survive. Like the daughter broke both of her legs. Um, the her oh. stepsister, like her face was smashed in. It was like a really, really, really bad accident. And he, of course, had no injuries. He was not injured in the car at all, but he had a heart attack and he died because it was like so horrific and he was so overwhelmed by what happened that he died in the car. So he had no injuries from the car accident, but he still died in the car from a heart attack. Okay, that's still though a stretch to say she killed him. I would say like his cause of death was technically her car, but... Like, that's like saying, like, oh, my, a cliff murdered somebody. Like, <laughs> well, no, the, now they joke, though. It's like, oh, you killed him. And she's like, I did it. And it's like a big joke <laughs> in their family. Um, he tried to kill me. <laughs> but it's still like, isn't that, wa- isn't that a wild that's story? so. I was on the edge of my seat. I was on pins and needles. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, that was my that was my story that I've developed in the last two days since we last spoke. Wow. Um, so that's that's how that's how I'm doing. That information being in my life is how I am doing. That's quite a story. That's gonna stick with me. I feel like if I were um, a character in a movie and I needed, I'd like start lying and saying that story as if it happened to me. You could say that it was your coworker. Nobody would know that it wasn't your coworker if you told them. Unless you told it to one of your coworkers, but don't tell your coworkers, tell other people. <laughs> this can be our shared I work with This two. can be our shared yeah. coworker story. I have two coworkers that I share a classroom with and imagine if I told one of them that it was the other one. Don't ask him about it, but he <laughs> you told both of them. Anyway, do you want to get started? Sure. This story has some... I'm, I'm glad I learned about this. It was an interesting topic. There are some parts that are fun because, you know, dogs are involved. Um, but there are some parts of it that I never really thought about before. So let's get into it. Um, you asked me about the Iditarod Trail. Or you just asked me specifically about the Iditarod. And I took that to mean the Iditarod Trail sled dog race. Which is an Uh annual long-distance sled dog race, which is held in early March, so this is timely, from Anchorage, Alaska to Nome, Alaska. The starting point is specifically about 50 miles north of the town of Seward, Alaska. Mm -hmm. Oh, and because of this, the two endpoints of the trail sometimes cause the, like, it also has the moniker of the Seward to Nome Trail. And interestingly, though, the starting point and ending point 
can often are moved due to weather. Like they just pick wherever like spots that are the best to start from, depending on like, you know, what the snow's looking like. So it doesn't have an exact starting point or ending point that stays the same always. It's but it's roughly that that area. So it is a sixteen hundred kilometer trail system, which in miles is about nine hundred thirty-eight, I think. <laughs> if i remember exactly thank you for converting Um, i was about to ask yeah Uh, a little history of the trail itself it was formed originally as uh, several smaller trails that were all like had connecting points and all of these trails were established by several native alaskan native Mm -hmm. peoples specifically the denaina and the daghitan athabaskan peoples and the inupiaq and yupik peoples Side note, Wikipedia still refers to the latter two groups as Eskimo groups, and I thought it worth noting that Mm. while the word Eskimo has linguistic origins from native groups, it has historically been used pejoratively towards those groups and the towards those groups and the fact that Europeans more often use that word as a blanket term to refer to all native peoples in Alaska has made that word be seemed as as an offensive term so if you're going to use that word to describe people in Alaska Wikipedia um, maybe do some research to find out that group's actual name um, and don't use the other word Um, those groups established the smaller trails that when connected form the Iditarod Trail. And Iditarod is the name of a town in Alaska that the trail that is on that trail. It's also the name of a river. Um, it, it's just, it's a, so it's the, those, there's a couple of reasons why the trail is called that. Iditarod is just a word that is frequently used to name things in that area. So it was originally founded by those native groups, but it went on to be used by Russian fur traders when they came to Alaska in the 1800s, which was a reminder for me. I always forget that Alaska and Russia are so close, um, but they are. And it before it was mm-hmm. American territory, it was Russian territory. In the early 1900s, the trail was used by many American miners who went to Alaska in search of gold. In 1909, two prospectors struck gold and the news brought 10,000 Americans to the area. In the following years, approximately $30 million worth of gold was mined from the ground in that area. And the phrase I read was that there was like a stampede of people there and then a stampede away because people were just like going wherever they heard gold was. And they went to Alaska, to that area of Alaska for a time, mined $30 million worth, and then went to other areas. And then another factor that drew people away from that area was the beginning of World War I. Many people left to go fight or hold various roles. Mm, Okay. But the trail was still being used as a, a way to transport mail throughout the entire area for people who lived there. And in 1925, there was this dog sledding event that is very historic, and that is known as the 1925 Serum Run to Nome. Well, dog sled was the primary way that people traveled throughout the trail. And in 1921, in the town, 25, excuse me, the town of Nome had a diphtheria outbreak, and 
Winter Ice had essentially oh, made... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know this story. Yeah. Winter Ice had made travel in and out of that town by any other route essentially impossible. So they needed to get find a way to get the serum that was used to make the vaccines to the town of Nome from Anchorage. So people in Anchorage took a train to the town of um, Nanana and met some mushers. A musher is a person that, you know, does the dog sled. 20 of Alaska's best mushers and their dogs carried the serum the remaining 674 miles from Nanana to Nome in just over 127 hours, which is a, a big feat. It broke records at the time. Okay, so shortly after this event, for safety, they switched over to using planes to deliver stuff in uh, for mail and for delivering vaccines which was much more efficient um but this was considered yeah but this was like a big historic event and like these mushers were considered heroes for going that far that quickly to get the serum to these people they ran it as a relay but the musher who arrived and delivered the serum to the people was a norwegian man named gunner kazan and his lead dog was balto i didn't know balto was a real dog i thought that was just a movie but he was i have two thoughts i have two things to say one is that yes balto was a real dog here's a real thing two there is the erasure of a dog named Togo. Oh, we're going to get to Togo. We're going to get like, to Togo. Okay, 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 okay. All right. I just care about Togo. I, I feel like you've Togo told me about Togo before and I'm just now remembering it. Because I, I watched the movie about it while we were in quarantine. Oh, uh, okay. Balto and Togo were both real dogs. And Balto, because he was the lead dog that... <laughs> like finished the relay he was seen as like the hero of it and a statue was put up of him in central park in new york city which became a huge tourist attraction and so balto gets a lot of attention but <laughs> in actuality a different norwegian musher named leonard sapala and his lead dog togo were the team that covered the longest stretch of the trail like 270 miles or something like that which is you know, it's a long way to go. So they were the he, Togo was the dog. He that covered put twice in the as much work. ground as Balto. Twice as much. Yeah, yeah. Balto just crossed the twice finish line, as but much. Togo, uh, unbelievable. Togo did all the work. <laughs> he slapped his name on the ending project. Yeah, <laughs> we've all been in that group assignment where you do all the work, and then your friends like I, <laughs> then your partners like, and I helped, and they get just as much credit. <sighs> In 1964, the Wasilla, I don't know if it's pronounced Nick or Knick, K-N-I-K. K-N, it's probably Knick. Yeah. Well, this the Wasilla Knick Centennial Committee was created to come up with an event to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Alaska's induction into the United States. And so the idea of a race of a portion of the Iditarod Trail was suggested. Thus, in 1967, the first race was held. At the time, it was called the Iditarod Trail Sapala Memorial Race in order in, in honor of Leonard Sapala, who was the musher who worked with Togo, who was pulled by Togo. Should have been called the Togo Memorial <laughs> Race. 
They offered a prize of $25,000 to the winner, which attracted 58 racers to participate. The first winner was a guy named Isaac Oklesic. The race in 1968 was, well, it was meant to be an annual thing, but the race the following year had to be canceled because there was not enough snow. And in 1967, the prize money was significantly lowered from 25,000 to 1,000. So only 12 racers signed up. So it was a much, much smaller event. And there was a lot of talk about what would we do? Like people only really seem to want to participate if we offer a big cash prize. So an idea was had that, well, we could offer a bigger prize, but we'd need to make the race more difficult. So the race was lengthened to lengthened to being the full mm. route of the Iditarod Trail. So they had the money because it's not like they built a trail. They had like... Yeah, they had the trail, but I don't think they had the money. But after this, they used this as sort of like a PR stunt to get attention of like, oh, who's going to be able to win yeah. on the full trail? And so they used that. They fundraised and they earned, they got $51,000, which even if you raise $51,000, I, I hate that. Why couldn't they just have given $50,000 and then use that other thousand for something else? <laughs> it, it just bothers me that it's 51000 <laughs> Once they had that money, the first race of this length, which is known as the first true Iditarod race, was held in 1973. Now, Dorothy Page, who ran the committee that planned the original race, quit being involved with it when it when this change was put into place. And she was publicly outspoken against it because she, while she had no issue with a shorter dog sled race, uh, it was her opinion that a race of that length would essentially be animal abuse to expect dogs to run for that far and do it in a race. Like mm. they, they probably wouldn't be getting enough rest. Right. And, and, and that is a big right. issue when we discuss. Yeah. When we discuss the Iditarod race, there's many animal activists who are against it. Dorothy Page was not alone at the time. Many people agreed with her. And in fact, because this was becoming a topic of discussion at the time, it made a lot of people rethink how they discussed the 1925 serum run with Togo and Balto. Because while mm -hmm. they understood why they tried to go that far that quickly in order to, you know, bring a vaccine to a group of sick people, it's really kind of considered like abuse to dogs to make them run that far that fast but i don't know it's kind of yeah. a difficult topic because i see why they had to do it but i i also agree that we could discuss right. it in a way that's like they had to do this not like it was so wonderful that they did this right. and because there was kind of a controversy and there was a lot of debate over this they, they were also discussing that man leonard sapala who togo pulled who was the namesake for the event because he had kind of a mixed reputation when it came to his treatment of animals. He publicly claimed to be against overworking sled dogs, but he also had kind of a mixed history when it came to overworking sled dogs. So they, overall they decided to rename the event so that it was no longer the Sapala Memorial race. Um, they just changed it to the Iditarod trail sled dog race. To this day, the race gets okay. a fair amount of ire from animal rights groups, and there was another dip in participation in 
the 70s because there was a, a a scandal regarding animal abuse i don't know exactly the details of it but i i think there was just you know a lot of um public demand for making sure the dogs are being treated well but the race continues to this day um it is held annually and uh, there was also a bit of a dip in participation because after that year that they raised the $51,000 they again didn't have the money for prize money so less people signed up but mm. there was a smaller dip this time in terms of money but in the mid 70s mm. also the mushers began receiving corporate sponsorships so people weren't totally reliant oh, on the prize like money NASCAR. so more people were yeah, more people were um, encouraged to participate. So roughly uh, over 50 people participate in this race annually. Oh. This month, it just happened. It happened in uh, 2021. However, this year, all of the mushers were required to wear face masks, which when you're in Alaska and you're outside, I don't see people being opposed to that. And social distancing measures were strictly enforced. So that's Unless good. Unless it's hard but to... It's harder to breathe. Maybe, maybe they meant like when they went to stop at like rest areas because along that way there are a lot of businesses that popped up as like rest areas for 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 sled dogs and like little restaurants where people could stop and get a meal and rest for the Mm -hmm. night a couple facts to close you out there are specific rules for the for participation in the dog sled race you must have 16 sled dogs pulling you but they have to be um they made a specification in the rules um in the late 80s and 90s that you couldn't use other breeds of dogs to pull your sled other than um northern dog breeds such as siberian huskies or alaskan malamutes um basically because you're only allowed to use dogs that have uh, the, the the right type of undercoat the like padding uh, yeah like then right. whose bodies were built to be able to not be harmed by the elements when you're dog sledding so you cannot have mm. it's like against the rules to have the way i read this factor they were like you're not allowed to use chihuahuas i was like who was gonna run this race using chihuahuas nobody <laughs> So that bit in Snow Dogs where the Border Collie pulls the sled it wouldn't Aww. happen. No, it wouldn't happen. But one thing that is true about <laughs> Snow Dogs is that there is the Red Lantern Award, which <laughs> is given to the last man that finishes the race. Uh, but I found the rule that I was looking for a minute ago. A musher can start the race with a maximum of 16 mm-hmm. dogs, but the musher must have at least 12 dogs at the start and must finish with at least five dogs. So I think as you go, you can maybe like drop off dogs if they're injured or tired along the way. Um, and there's a specific rule that mm-hmm. says there can be no cruel or inhumane treatment of dogs um, when participating in the race. But there are many people that are like, well, making dogs right. race this very long distance is already cruel and inhumane treatment. So I don't know. It's a topic of debate. I'm not sure where I land on it other than like, I agree. Make sure you use a breed of dogs that who have bodies that can handle it and find ways to train them that it's not quite as traumatizing, but I don't know. Take care of your animals. I don't know. I I personally wouldn't make, they're not really your pets. No, but 
I don't know. I hope they're all good, getting lots of pets and snuggles and oh, I worry about the dog. Well, it's like, but that's everything I have. I'm I'm not like, sure how, where I stand on this. Sorry, well, go on. What are you saying? I was saying that I I think it's like similar to owning horses who race. Mm. It's like you like you have to take care of them. You know. Yeah. Like on horses that are bred for racing, like they some of them have like in incredible setups you know yeah. it's like they have a therapy they get the massages they get the whole thing but it's it's true that you you do need to take really good care of them you know yeah and i agree with what was dorothy's last name dorothy page and that dog sledding uh, itself oh, fun oh. activity mm-hmm. oh good song mm-hmm. um dog sledding itself mm-hmm. fine fun activity Dog sledding races, probably fun too. It's just the length right. of it is kind of sus. So, yeah. But I also don't right. know enough about dog sled dogs to know how far they can run before it becomes inhumane. So, I don't know. But that's what I have on the Iditarod. Okay. Thank you for that valuable information. I appreciate it. Yeah. The middle segment. Today, we are going to talk about the cultural moment that is happening with none other than cinnamon toast crunch, <gasps> which wait, you don't know what's going on with cinnamon toast crunch. No. Oh, Jane, I'm about to break your heart. I'm so sorry. No. Cinnamon toast crunch was literally like, I, I had that for breakfast so often as a kid. Okay, well, no. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to kind of ruin Cinnamon Toast Crunch for you. So yesterday, a man named, I'm going to take, wow, you really are going to get to go on a journey with me then because I really thought you already knew about this. So no, yesterday, nothing. yesterday, a man named Joseph Carp, like the fish carp, no, sorry, Jensen Carp, a man named Jensen Carp tweeted a picture. I'm going to send you the picture. I'm going to send you the tweet, Oh, I'm nervous. Of some cinnamon toast crunch and what looks like two shrimp tails coated in sugar. (gasps) And he sent it. He tweeted it at General Mills and was like, hey, (laughs) what's going on there? And and immediately got a huge reaction on Twitter, um, and it uh, it does look like it does really much, very much look like shrimp tails. Okay, I'm gonna um he tweeted it at Cinnamon Toast Crunch Squares. I'm gonna send you the tweet, but I'm gonna ask that you not scroll through his Twitter. Um, oh, so I don't get spoilers. Yes, no spoilers. We are a spoiler-free household. I'm sending it in the hmm. Zoom chat. Okay, so. General Mills responds and is like, I'm so sorry to like have had this to for this inconvenience. Like, please send us your address. We'll send you a new box, whatever. And he was like, I bought this at Costco. He he had said that's where he bought it at a Costco. So are you looking at the picture? Isn't it so yeah. gross? It's so gross. 
So he tweets that he that he got it at Costco, whatever. General Mills apparently reaches out to him and like tries to fix it. He's like, no, thank you. But then General Mills goes on to tweet that those are not shrimp tails. They are clustered sugar and that there is no way that they are shrimp tails to which Jensen Carp is like, you are gaslighting me. These are shrimp tails. And people become up in arms on Twitter because... He's like, these are shrimp tails. That's just what they are. Like, a marine biologist weighed in and was like, those are shrimp tails. Like, this whole uh. thing about cross-contamination came up. So Jensen goes through the box, and he finds other cinnamon toast crunch squares with, like, what looks like string inside of them or, like, little black pellets. And he becomes concerned that his entire batch of cinnamon toast crunch that he bought in one of those giant boxes at Costco has been contaminated. So, the New York Times wrote an article about this yesterday. Like, this is a this is becoming a huge thing. So, he found, in addition to the shrimp-looking things, he found a small string, something that looked like a pistachio, and he noticed a small black piece in some of the squares in the bottom of the bag. And he feared that those could be rat poop. So, he decided to send them to the Cal... Or, he decided to call the California Poison Control System, and they said, you should take it to a lab. So, he took it to Quest Diagnostics, which they do a lot of blood work and things like that. Yeah. Um, And they were not able to test the sample, so he ended up having to go to a different lab. Um, But he's reached out and... They haven't gotten back to him as of the article that was written yesterday about it. Now he, so he's still waiting. And so far he's had like zero symptoms. He's not sick. Um, so it doesn't seem like if he did ingest something, it would it, like, it, it doesn't seem that he ingested anything poisonous or anything dangerous. What he's mostly concerned about the fact is that General Mills is being like, no, there's nothing wrong with the cereal. You're crazy. Like, that's not rat poop, whatever. The second bag in his bulk box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch appeared to have been tampered with. Um, the bag appeared to have been opened with clear tape along the bottom. He reached out again to General Mills. And Mike Siamanis... It's S-I-E-M-I-E-N-A-S. I don't know. Simianus. Simianus, sure. He was a representative of General Mills, wrote to the New York Times, we are sti- while we are still investigating this matter, we can say with confidence that this did not occur at our facility. We're waiting for the consumer to send us the package to investigate further. Any consumers who notice their cereal box or bag has been tampered with, such as clear tape that was found in this case, should contact us. Should contact us. And essentially... Jensen Carp is like, I don't want to send you the box because when I, that, like, you could just get rid of the evidence. You could just say, no, this isn't what it is. Whereas if he gets it tested, he'll know for sure yeah. what it is, you know? Um, because already General Mills has tried to be like, no, this isn't, this isn't rat poop. This isn't a shrimp tail. And then in a subsequent email to, carp the same general mills representative told him to send the items to local law enforcement if he would not send them to the company so they were like being very i don't know unresponsive to it um carp said that he's not considering legal action um but if it finds out if he finds out that he ate rat poop that may change um and he said he was frustrated with how general mills handled the situation he said all they have to do is say this is a bummer we're gonna look into it we're going to recall the ones from your costco like they would be that easy but instead they were like this isn't happening 
you're wrong yeah about something that they have not seen in person now what yeah added to the drama is that all of this happened right this was all really big on twitter and then the new york times published this article about him and in the article they mention that jensen carp is the husband of actress danielle fischel carp do you know who danielle fischel is <gasps> topanga she, from boy meets world she absolutely is topanga isn't that unbelievable? So people were like, I'm sorry. This happened to Topanga's husband. And the, then everyone's like, then then it became a conspiracy theory because his last name is Carp. Her maiden name is Fischl. But also, he used to... <laughs> I literally can't deal with this. It's so funny. He... <laughs> He bought five cinnamon toast crunch at a Costco that's on Topanga Canyon Road. <gasps> and someone pointed out that he also used to be a guest on a podcast called the Pistol Shrimp Podcast. So people are convinced <gasps> that this was an attempted hit on Jensen Carp. Like it was an orchestrated thing. This is the dumbest way to try and kill someone. Let's put random shit in his cinnamon toast crunch. Isn't that so funny? I I don't really have anything to add other than that. It's a really wild story. I <laughs> I was floored when I found out that he was married to Topanga and that again that he bought it on Topanga Canyon Road. I don't know what's going on here. Could all just be a massive coincidence, but definitely something interesting and something to, you know, chew on metaphorically when you said daniel i was like i know that name <gasps> it's topanga yes it is topanga so that was my middle segment um on to something that's far, awesome far 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 less fun and that is credit scores oh sure before we do that can i say one thing real quick which is a little update that i happened to see online the other day of something you talked about for a middle segment uh, I don't know, a little while ago, which is the gr- the Gorilla Glue girl. Oh, yeah. Who went viral for putting Gorilla Glue on her hair and getting it, like, stuck there. Did you hear that um, a plastic surgeon removed the Gorilla Glue from her head, but she was getting some, like, routine, like, checks done before the procedure, and they found lumps in her breasts. <gasps> And she got them removed. And so the whole thing may have saved her life. <gasps> wow. Nuts. That That is quite the development. I just thought that was wild. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a yeah. twist. <laughs> yeah. That's a twist if I've ever heard one. Well, I guess I'm happy for Gorilla Glue Girl. I still don't think she's the brightest person for putting gorilla glue in her hair but i'm happy that it had a good outcome i guess i mean they don't know for sure whether or not the lumps were cancerous so like it may have been something that didn't actually save her life but right it'd be nice if this whole silly thing she did was like had some positive outcome right absolutely thank you for that update are you ready to talk about credit scores (sighs) yes Okay, so a credit score is essentially how good you are at borrowing and paying back money. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a, it's like a grade. It lets a lender know how risky it is to lend you money, um, which is why your interest rate is drastically higher if you have a poor credit score instead of a good one because they charge you a higher interest rate because they know they don't trust that you're going to pay back. Um, not that they don't trust you personally. It's not like a personal thing. It's just like formulaically, which is part of the problem. So um, credit scores were only invented in the 1950s. Before this, lenders determined the risk of a customer by looking at payment history, but they also would conduct home visits and listen to general word of mouth. So it was pretty much entirely reputation-based, in which case the Lannisters, excellent credit. Excellent credit. They always repay their debts. They do. Excellent credit. With the rise of modern banking, thank you, Alexander Hamilton, credit bureaus begun to be established, and the representatives would call stores and ask if a person paid on time. So they would call your grocery store and be like, hello, when they pick up their groceries, do they always pay? And they'd be like, yes. Um, But the answers were not really quantitative because who would remember that information so specifically? They would just be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, I would say he pays like 60% of the time on time. Like, And so it was very like non-factual and it was very much based off of memory and impression yeah so you could be like oh yeah they look trustworthy which what does that mean and you could get it you could get good credit or you could be like yeah they look untrustworthy aka Mm. you could be black or brown and they'd be like no you can't have credit so like it was a very flawed system and a scoring system did exist before the 1950s, but it was very inconsistent and not everyone was using the same system. So it really depended on the bank you were using and what city you lived in. It was very confusing. So in 1956, engineer Bill Fair and mathematician Earl Isaac created Fair, Isaac and Company. And together they created a standardized impartial, quote unquote, credit scoring system, which they began to sell two years later. But we know it under a different name today, the FICO credit score. FICO stands for Fair, Isaac, and Company. In 1970, Congress passed the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which created a regulated system of how information would be collected, what could be reported, and for how long, and how consumers could find out their credit scores. So it was no longer this arbitrary list of things that would determine your credit. It was a very, very specific criteria that could go towards your credit score. The current FICO score system debuted in the ni- in 1989. And when I say the current system, I mean the current criteria that goes into your credit score, like loans, credit cards, mm. Um, mm. Uh, uh, insurance, things like that. Um, and that system is now the industry standard. That industry standard is still tracked by three major credit bureaus. Um, and I have a pop quiz for you. Can you name the three credit bureaus? The three credit bureaus? I don't know finance stuff. I don't know. This is something that you know. I promise you, you've looked this up before. You had to have for college. If you have a student loan, you've looked this up. Uh, (laughs) Can you give me a hint? I'm sorry. My brain is like, what the heck? Two of them start with E. I don't know. Just make a guess. Just guess literally anything. Um, It doesn't have to be right. It could just be funny. um, Enterprise (laughs) rent-a-car. We give you the tools (laughs) to be your own boss. Um, 
<laughs> it's not Enterprise Rent a Car. No, the three credit bureaus are Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. Experian oh. emails me all the time. I want them to leave me alone. Equifax is the oldest of these, and it was founded in 1899. Back then, though, a representative, um, to determine a person's credit score, would go see a family in their home, and they would take note of the belongings there, and then report it back to Equifax. So they would literally oh go God. in there and be like, they've got crystal. Good credit. Like, <laughs> And they would have a conversation with them, being like, hey, how'd you buy this house? And they'd be like, oh, we borrowed money from my grandfather. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, did you pay him back? And they'd be like, oh, yeah. I'd be like, good credit. Like, that was literally how it worked. <laughs> For like 40 years. Which I think is hilarious. If they came in there, they'd be like, okay, all your clothes are from Old Navy. And uh, I don't know about those sheets. <laughs> like, what? Hilarious. TransUnion was established as a railroad car leasing company, and then they purchased a bank in 1969, the golden year. And mm. Experian is the newest of the credit bureaus. It was founded in the 90s after they brought after they bought out the former largest bureau, TRW. Mm-hmm. In 2003, Congress passed the Fair and Accurate Credit Transaction Act, which entitles you to a copy of your credit report from each of the three major credit bureaus once per year report you can get it for free in 2010 another act passed that says that if you are denied a loan for any reason you can request a free version of your credit report as an explanation for why as well makes sense i have another pop quiz okay what I'll try do you do think better. yes i think you can do this one what do you think affects your credit score <sighs> okay um I, well, I don't totally know, but I, I know it's like, if you pay your credit card bills on time, um, if you have a debit card and the amount goes like below zero, um, Mm -hmm. on that, on a, on a bank account. And I don't know. Those are the two ideas I can think of. Oh yeah. You're super right. So your payment history, which is like your ability to pay yeah. your credit card, but then also your monthly loan payment makes mm. up about 35% of your score. So that's like the most important contributor. Your mm-hmm. debt burden is another 30%. So if you have existing loans, um, how much those loans are will also affect your credit score. That also includes outstanding credit card balances, which is why it's always important to pay off your credit card statement at the end of each month, um, because the Mm -hmm. rest of that becomes debt burden. The length of your credit history accounts for 15% of the score, um, which is why it's recommended that parents set up their children with some sort of like credit card. So they have some sort of history when they are young. Um, I am very lucky. My mom did that for me when I was relatively young and I didn't really use the credit card, but it definitely set up a line of credit for me that has helped because when I wanted to rent an apartment, I had a good credit score. These are all things that contribute. I need to get a credit card. card. Yeah. The variance of credit that you have is 10%. So it's actually good to show that you have loans and credit cards and other forms of credit um, because that shows that, you know, Mm -hmm. you have um, differentiated finances. And recent applications for credit 
apply for an, for the remaining 10%. So in, when I moved to New York, I applied for two credit cards. I got them both, but because I had applied for two credit cards, my credit score went down because they were like, oh, she's suddenly using a lot of credit. So they want you to have credit, but not too much and not too soon. Interesting. Okay. It's a arbitrary and delicate balance. Yeah. So what are the benefits of a credit score? I could find only one. <laughs> um, only one and that it's more impartial kind of yeah it is more impartial than like a guy showing up at your house and being like looks like good credit <laughs> but there's so much that isn't accounted for in a credit score and there's so much that a credit score works against that it like kind of isn't really impartial depending on who you are and i'm gonna go into that mm -hmm. this is what's bad about it most people don't understand their score or they don't know their score yeah. or they don't understand what their score entitles them to. So here's, here's, here's some advice. If you have an excellent credit score, you should be getting, which is eight, which is 850 or higher okay. or 800 to 850 is excellent. I'm pretty sure you should be getting the best APR rate on your, all your credit. But people don't necessarily know that. They just see a number and they're like, I don't know, it's 800. And they're like, oh yeah, that's pretty good. Like skeevy yeah. lenders will be like that. So they'll try to take advantage of you and people will accept subprime loans when they qualify for better ones. So be aware of your credit score and what it is and like what the typical APR rate is for whatever loan you're taking out for someone with that credit score. Because people do, like banks do try to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Banks and other finance industries someone also could be financially secure and not use credit cards there are plenty of people who don't want to use a credit card um, and they just use their debit card instead and they would be assessed with a lower credit score even though they're not risky spenders for not doing that some people prefer to have their debit card because then they can't spend money they don't have you know? yeah that's, and that's why sort of I the like danger it. of a credit card yeah Right. Like that's sort of the danger of a credit card is that you can spend that credit limit is like pretty high. And so you could get into debt and it's a whole thing. And some people just don't want that sort of risk. So yeah. they don't take it. But then a credit score says, oh, they're, they're a risky lender, but really they're not. So that's, that's a big issue. Mm. Credit report errors are also common and they can be difficult to correct. Between 2015 and 2017, 175,000 complaints were filed with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau related to credit reports. And 65% of those regarded inaccurate information on credit reports across all three credit bureaus. So it's not just, oh, this one credit bureau made an error. It is a consistent error yeah. across all three, which shows like a significant flaw in that system. System. Both Republicans and Democrats in Congress today agree that credit reporting is a flawed system that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. Maxine Waters, who is uh, a Democrat from California, is chairwoman of the Financial Services Committee, and she said, quote, this commodification of consumers and their personal data is the core reason why our nation's consumer credit reporting system is broken. So essentially, she's saying that you're looking at the items that the people buy and not their habits and not their like personal drive or personal um tactics or personal like financial patterns yeah. it's all about this is what you have and this is what you owe and this is what we deem you worthy of having mm -hmm. which is a little unfair 
Experian and FICO are currently working on a system that may incorporate phone and other utility payments in your credit history, which could theoretically boost scores since more people statistically pay those things. Um, and also you're more likely to like keep up with your phone bill every month than you are to maybe pay off your credit card every month. Yeah. Because you want to keep your phone running. Yeah. Credit scores are also far from being race neutral. There is a misconception about Black people that they are financially irresponsible, and it is true that Black people have disproportionately lower credit scores. But credit scores were started by a face-to-face process at a time when almost all lending officers were white. It was the 1940s and 50s, so we know that Black people were not treated well at all at that time. And that face-to-face process would be layered with that lending officer's bias about that person because of their race, gender, sexuality, et cetera. So people could very easily be denied for those discriminatory reasons, and it was legal. But now a computer, a computer cannot racially profile a person, but employment rates, lending policies, yeah. debt collection, and criminal records are racially biased, and those are all things that affect your credit score. In addition to all that, redlining, which is rating homes in historically Black neighborhoods as risky lending, is still a huge problem, even though it is illegal. It absolutely still occurs. And it very deeply impacts that community's credit scores, which, again, is a very, it's a problem that specifically faces the Black and Brown community. Yeah. The number of Black-owned banks has also declined over 50% since 2001, and that's something that was really important for Black people to be able to control their own money and to work with banks where the people who control the money look like you, which makes sense. Um, And there is a general... I read an article um, from a woman who talks about Black people's general distrust of white people with their finances, and I think that absolutely makes sense systematically. Yeah. Um, But another big issue is that Black people are more likely to rent apartments than they are to buy one because they have a hard time getting loans. And rental payments are not included in credit scores. So that's already some, that's another thing that's like extremely exclusionary for Black and Brown people in America. Absolutely. The lack of generational wealth as well. Um, of Black people in America has also meant that they are more likely to default on their payments in times of economic hardship, whereas white people are more likely to have um, that savings cushion um, in case economic hard times befall us, like this pandemic we are in now. Mm -hmm. Black people are also more likely to be underpaid for their work. We all know wage discrimination is a huge issue, and, you know, when you can't when you aren't making a living wage, when you aren't be able to pay your most essential bills or when you're having a hard time doing that, it's much harder to set up, you know, credit for these like extra things when you have just enough. So absolutely credit discrimination is a big problem in America and elsewhere. Um, And at the end of the day, credit scores uphold the wealth gap. They say, these people have a lot of money to spend, and therefore they can get into credit, and therefore they can do all these things, and therefore they can buy houses, and they can do all these other things. Um, And those of you who just don't have money, you just can't, because you don't have a high enough score. But the criteria to get that score is incredibly um, wealth preferential. So at the end of the day, 
a lower credit score is not a good indicator of someone's trustworthiness or financial fortitude. President Biden in December 2020, when he was the president-elect, and since then has called for the creation of a new public credit reporting agency. This new government agency option would accept non-traditional payment histories like rent and mandate that federal housing programs use the new scoring model, not the FICO score model, with an algorithm designed to make home ownership more accessible. So to specifically focus on, on increasing home ownership, um, particularly for minorities, which would be a I think beneficial program. Yeah. But like I said, many, many members of Congress are against the FICO credit scoring system. Um, it's actually one of the reasons that it's a um, bipartisan issue is that um, like farmers and people in sort of rural America don't have a lot of credit. Yeah. And so that really limits their options in terms of home ownership and attaining property and things like that. And it's becoming an issue there as well, where the wealth gap is also really big outside of cities. So that doesn't surprise me that um, it's a thing that both Republicans and Democrats are behind. But that is all about credit scores. Awesome. Well, I mean, not awesome, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you are very welcome. That is everything we have for you this week. This episode is going to be really short after I cut out all of us floundering, or all of us <laughs> floundering around for 25 minutes. <laughs> Sarah! <laughs> Jane! Okay. I'm here! Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast, where you can find our new podcast logo. Yeah! Very exciting. So I love it. Oh, thank you. I designed it. Um, you can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and we would love to put it on our show. Yeah. Okay, you can ask me first. Sure. Sarah. Yeah. Do you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? I've been wondering about the 442nd Infantry Regiment. What? <laughs> I don't know what that I is. I can specify <laughs> what it is. Oh, like, I don't know a lot, but in, um, I, I, I watched like the first like five minutes of the Try Guys just released a video on the history of anti-Asian hate in the United States. And Mm -hmm. Eugene mentions briefly that there was this group of soldiers during World War II called the 442nd Infantry Regiment, which was a group of, uh, which was a regiment that was comprised largely of Asian Americans and that they were very important in World War II, but they are often overlooked and not recognized for what they did for the country that was not treating them well. So, um, but I, I don't know specifically what they did um, and what I, you know, what their story was fully. So I would like to learn about them. Okay. That's great. Cause that's going to pair very well with what I have, what I've been wondering. Yeah. You know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering, Sarah? 
I would love for you, I mean, I'm not going to love it, but I do want to know. Um, I would love for you to tell me more about the Chinese Exclusion Act <gasps> oh, and mm -hmm. what was going on that, <laughs> that led up to it and what the aftermath of that was and sort of just what was going on culturally in America at the time that made it seem like they needed to pass that. Yes. Okay. So our topic, we were both having similar trains of thought, I think. Yes. I do know but, that the Chinese Exclusion Act was also, um, it was related to, there were a lot of Chinese workers working on the railroad. Yeah. Um, so maybe discuss that too. Yeah. Okay. So awesome. Okay. Cool. I'm excited. This will be a good episode. That's what's coming at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. This is, you know, what I've been wondering. <laughs>